Oh God, that scripture is so powerful. It is the very heart of who you're calling us to be. And yet we look at that and we realize that we cannot live this scripture out on our own. But we need you. We need you to create new hearts in us that these new hearts may create new lives. Help us to embody your message and not just embody your message but embody you that we may indeed be ministers of reconciliation and that we may indeed be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, This congregation is so gifted and so talented and you do such amazing work in so many places. I think the entire gamut of Houston professions and hobbies and artistic abilities are reflected here. Uh, We have lawyers and teachers and singers and artists. And speaking of singers, uh, what an amazing wealth of talent we have here. And that talent is shared so powerfully. And I was blown away Tuesday night at the Gay Men Chorus Concert, um, House of Hope. And Paul, we want to, where'd Paul go? He was here, there, stand up for a minute. Did an amazing piece. Oh, amazing. And uh, I saw some, everywhere I looked, I saw somebody from Resurrection there. If you were at the concert Tuesday night singing or just there to enjoy, if you could stand just for a moment. Uh, anyone that was there Tuesday night saw a lot of folks there. Uh, You all were there as ambassadors of Christ and ambassadors of resurrection in the community, and that's great. Um, Again, there's just so much talent. We we, we work in so many places, and um, I know some of you have very difficult jobs. Um, And whatever we're doing, I, I know that we have a variety of job descriptions represented here. But as I was looking at today's scripture, what occurred to me is that there is at least one job we are all called to do. Whether we're the youngest student or whether we are a retired senior. Whether we are a teacher in the public school system or an artist. There is one job we're all called to do and there's one job title that we all share. And if you look in your scripture today, you will see that job title there and also a job description. It's here in our scripture, a job title and a job description. If you look in the last line of that scripture, what's our job title? Ministers of Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Every Sunday when we do our scripture reading, you will see the word ministers there in the litany. And that's because we really do believe that every person is a minister. But what this scripture says today is a minister of what? We are ministers of reconciliation. God has reconciled us to God's self. And therefore as reconciled people we are then called to live that reconciliation and do God's work. That scripture also describes what our job description is. If you look at the scripture there it talks about how we are called to be ambassadors. What does it mean to be an ambassador? It means you're representing somebody else. 
Who are we representing? Look in your scripture. We are representing God. In other words, God has done God's work in us that we might do God's work in the world. What an amazing job description. Whatever you do in your daily life, this is the foundation of all that you do. If you're teaching in the public school, you are also doing God's work. If you're serving as a lawyer, you're also called to do God's work. Whatever you're doing, you are called to be an ambassador of God and to do God's work in a meaningful and powerful way. Now, I know some of you do very difficult jobs, jobs that maybe you've prepared your lifetime to do. But look at this scripture. I think the hardest job that any one of us have is to be a minister of reconciliation. It's possible that on the job you can do your work and you can tick everybody off and you can hurt people's feelings, but you can still get the job done and have a good product and increase sales or whatever it is you're called to do. But being a minister of reconciliation, that's tough. You see, the nature of life is such that just walking through the room We're going to step on somebody's toes. Just sometimes lining up for communion, we're going to step on somebody's toes. We we get tangled up. We say something and the person doesn't hear it the way we intended it. The nature of life is such that we're going to be hurt and hurt somebody probably every single day which means that reconciliation is not a once a week job or a once a month job. It's a 24 hour job. It's not nine to five, it's 24 hours. Ministers of reconciliation, taking our hurts, taking our wounds, taking our upsets, taking our sore toes and our tangled up arms and giving those to Christ and somehow being reconciled that we can therefore become reconcilers. Now, when Paul was working with this scripture, writing this, he he really knew what he was talking about because Paul had a great dream for the Christian church. And, and, And he knew that what was happening in the early church would be modeled by churches later. He knew that the early church was laying the foundation for all of Christianity. And yet, what happened? From the very beginning, they were hurting each other and wounding each other and misunderstanding each other. Paul was trying to lay the groundwork for a strong and healthy, loving church, the church of Jesus Christ. And what did he have? He had a mess. He had people with all kinds of different ideas of what the focus should be. Different ideas of how to do church. Different ideas of how the church should run. Different ideas of who should be in charge. And if someone was in charge, how that person would operate while they were in charge. All this stuff is going on. The early people in that early church thought that what it meant to be Christian was to worship in a certain way or organize in a certain way. And Paul was trying to say, no, what it means to be Christian is to live in a certain way. And how are you called to live? You are called to live as ministers of reconciliation. And no, that's not easy. You can't do it on your own. In fact, you can't do it at all. The only way you can do it is to be reconciled to God and then let God transform you. 
What's powerful in this scripture is we're not the ones called to do it. In fact, what is said in this scripture is that we are called to be new creations. We can't do it on our own. It takes the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit to create us entirely new. I love the way that scripture is so direct. Everything is new. That really challenges us. Because we like to say, well, it's in my nature to hold grudges. (laughs) I come from a long line of grudge holders. My great-great-grandmammy in West Texas, she held grudges like you wouldn't believe. And I've got her blood in me. It's not in my nature to forgive. And yet this scripture says, behold, there is a new creation. You are not who you were. You are who you are through Christ. It's powerful stuff. But it's not in my nature to listen before jumping to conclusions. I just jump. (laughs) That's in my nature. Scripture says you are a new creation. That's why this is such a difficult job. It's so difficult because we are absolutely called to go against our nature and take on the nature of Christ. Wow! How do we do that? Well, it calls for great maturity, but sometimes maturity is best modeled by children. I want to jump to that second reading, which is the story of a young girl who shows amazing maturity when it comes to her prayer life and what it means to be a minister of reconciliation. Dear God, please bless my mother and brother and father and me and people here and on other planets, and all the animals everywhere. God, you know I say the same prayer every night, though all the animals everywhere is a recent addition. (laughs) Pastor Stone says that animals can't go to heaven, but I believe that if I pray, if I have faith, all things are possible. And God, please protect everybody who has died and everybody who hasn't been born yet and Satan. After all, God, didn't you say to love all things? God, I have an idea that if everybody prays for Satan, then Satan will come around to your light once again, and Satan will wake up as if splashed by cold water, and then there'll be no more evil in the world. God, For a while, I enlisted the help of kids at school to pray with me for Satan. We all joined hands to pray for Satan in the belly of the jungle gym. But then my teacher gave me a note in a sealed envelope to take home to my mother. So now I pray for Satan in the privacy of my bedroom. (laughs) I love what that young girl teaches us, she somehow made that entire leap to pray for the worst enemy she could think of. 
It reminds me of how jaded some of us have become. That young girl could, could make that entire leap to pray for the worst enemy she could think of, and yet someone just ticks us off a little bit, and we come to church to see where they're sitting so we can sit at the other end of the sanctuary. <laughs> just, just a little bit of reconciliation can plant a seed for wholeness. Who is the worst enemy you can think of? And, 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 we're, and we're so civilized that maybe enemy is, is too strong a word. So just think of someone who you're kind of ticked off at right now, whoever that might be. Or maybe someone who really has hurt you. Maybe you're estranged from your family. Maybe you're the victim of a very powerful injustice. Either get a person or a situation in your mind. And for a moment, hold that before God. Let's take a moment. And kind of hold that person in your heart or that situation in your heart as we continue to look at this hard job description that we have as ministers of reconciliation. We've all been commissioned to do a job to reconcile. And yet this is so difficult to really do. I want you to hear another story. This is a story of a seminary student who also found herself praying for someone who you maybe wouldn't expect someone to pray for. Lois, a student in seminary, decided to pray for Osama bin Laden. She made her commitment to pray for Osama bin Laden as part of a seminary class assignment to choose one issue of justice and peace to pray about daily for the ten weeks of the course. Students were asked to share one at a time who or what they would be praying for. Lois was surprised by her decision to pray for Osama bin Laden. Lois said, When we were asked to share our prayer commitments, I hadn't made up my mind. When it was my turn to speak, Osama bin Laden just popped out of my mouth. I knew I would have no prayer words to utter. I realized that all I could do was to hold him up to the love of God. Another student said, I am grateful someone is praying for Osama bin Laden. I know I can't. One day when Lois was praying, Osama bin Laden seemed particularly difficult to lift in prayer. Then she remembered a phrase from an old song, He ain't heavy, he's my brother. Lois was overcome by the grace of that insight. In praying for the enemy, her heart had been transformed. She said, I cannot think of him as I did before. I read the newspapers differently. He is still the enemy of my country, and he is my brother. When we pray for enemies, we do not give up our stance for justice and peace. Our prayers do not mean that we condone unjust behavior. Praying for our enemies is not passive. Praying for our enemies brings mercy and hope for transformation to places of tyranny, war, and oppression. We cannot love the ungrateful and the wicked without God's help. Mm.
the toughest job we face every day is the job of being ministers of reconciliation. And sometimes the call of reconciliation seems like a real stretch. Like for that seminary student who found herself praying for Osama bin Laden. Maybe the person that's been placed on your heart is a stretch for you. Maybe you cannot even put your prayers for that person into words. In that case, simply imagine yourself in the presence of Christ with that person also in the presence of Christ and hold that image before the heart of God until you can put that prayer into words again. About a year ago, I had a wonderful opportunity to travel to Israel on a mission of reconciliation. I traveled with a group of Jewish and Muslim clergy and educators and writers and teachers. And our purpose for that trip was to travel together as Muslims and Christians and Jews to Israel to stand for the hope of reconciliation. It's difficult to describe the feeling that I had as that plane landed in Tel Aviv. But I know that when I stepped out of the plane, I felt this amazing contrast in the air. On, on, on one hand, I, I felt the Spirit of Christ almost immediately, that this is the land where, where Jesus walked, and, and I felt this intense sense of peace and grace. But at the same moment, I, I, I felt the strife and the bitterness and the tension that had been building for centuries in the air. So it was an amazing sense of, of cognitive dissonance that I felt during that time. And all of us tried to put that into words. We, we tried to live it out. When we entered into Jerusalem, we did not stop until we were on a hill overlooking the city. And we stepped out of that bus and we gathered on a hill as Christians, Muslims, and Jews. And we looked over that city. We put our hands together and we enfolded each other in arms and each one of us prayed prayers from our various traditions and supported each other in those prayers. And when we got back on the bus, we, we, we had this amazing sense that, that it was possible, that, that God really could bring conflicted hearts together and that somehow we represented that and we felt this great sense of honor in that and we were celebrating that, we were, we were laughing and new friendships were being developed, new understandings were happening, and there was this incredible sense of optimism that carried us through the day. It's an image I'll never forget, but that very same night, that optimism was deflated in a dinner that we had. Hamas had just come into power in the elections, and when we were at the table feeling such optimism, a famous writer who had worked for peace for over 20 years and had written books on the possibility of peace, with tears in his eye, addressed us and said, with the election of Hamas, I have now given up all hope for peace. And we could feel the air just leave the room. It became clear that our call our call as a people, our call as Muslims, Christians, and Jews was, was seemingly impossible. We were reminded of another story. 
a story that reminds us that there are pockets of hope in the most desperate places. It happened in a Palestinian Christian church. It's a true story. The pastor's name, the priest of the church, was Elias Shakur. It was Palm Sunday. And for his Palm Sunday sermon, he was describing the scene where Jesus went through Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a call for peace. But as he was preaching that sermon, he was looking out at his congregation. And he saw a, an Israeli police officer who had arrested some of the Palestinians in that same congregation. And he saw all the conflict right there in that room. And he saw people who had sat on different ends of the sanctuary so as not to be close to the person they hated. And as he was preaching, it occurred to him that it all felt like a lie. Here he was talking about peace and justice and love, and all he could feel in the room was bitterness and hate. The oppressed and the oppressors sitting in that same place. The arresters and the arrested in that same place. And something came to him on impulse. And he took his keys, and right there in the middle of that service, in front of the congregation, he locked all the doors. And then returned to the front of the sanctuary and held up the key. And he said, today I have locked the doors of this church because we have a choice that we must make today. It will take a miracle for us to have peace as a congregation. But the time for that miracle is now, and the only person who can bring that miracle is Jesus Christ. So in the name of Jesus Christ, I have locked the doors. And I ask you to decide now. Go ahead and either kill each other in hate, and I'll go ahead and officiate at your funerals, <laughs> or choose to reconcile and choose to love. We cannot wait any longer for this choice as a congregation. And he put the keys in his pants and then waited. The congregation, of course, was stunned. You could feel the tension in the room. You could feel the silence in the room. You could feel anger in the room. It was all there. But what were they going to do? They couldn't get out. <laughs> he looked over and saw that Israeli police officer start to get out of his seat. Then he'd go back into his seat. And he'd start to get out of his seat, he'd go back. And this went on for about 10 minutes. And finally, that Israeli police officer stood up. He opened his arms. And he said, I know I have hurt many of you in this room. Please forgive me. And to those of you who have hurt me, I forgive you. Then he looked up and he said, And God, I accept your forgiveness. And then this tough Israeli police officer went over to the pastor, Shakur, and hugged him. And in that moment, tears were released. And then there was laughter coming from another section of the sanctuary. And then a group of people embracing in another set of part of the sanctuary. More tears, more laughter. 
And soon that sanctuary was erupting with the emotion of holy chaos. And that holy chaos was the chaos of love and reconciliation released. And then the pastor took the keys out (laughs) and said, you know, today is not Palm Sunday. Today is actually Easter Sunday. Because as a congregation, we have come alive today. We have been resurrected today. And today, I will unlock the doors of this sanctuary so you can go out into the streets of this community and proclaim that the resurrection is alive and well and true because Christ has been revealed through you today. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And the congregation shared that message of Easter with that community. A pocket of hope, the miracle of Christ lived out. If we look at our own lives today, we will see those places in our lives where it will take a minister of reconciliation to break us through. Those places in our lives where it will take the miracle of Christ. But remember the scripture today. It reminds us we aren't expected to do it on our own. We are new creations. We can become reconcilers because God has reconciled us. Who has God brought to your heart today? What circumstance has God brought to your heart today? The doors of hope have been unlocked. You are ministers of reconciliation. Live that resurrection and that reconciliation in the name of Christ. If you're comfortable, take the hand of someone nearby. God of grace, God of hope, God of mercy, God of reconciliation. We can't do this work on our own. We cannot be ministers of reconciliation on our own. But we ask today for you to forgive us and to help us. And now in this moment, hear each one of our individual and silent prayers as we hold up to you that person or that situation that needs your reconciling touch at this moment. Hear the prayers that we lift at this moment in silence as a congregation and as individuals. Thank you, God, for hearing these prayers. Thank you for being present in these relationships and in these circumstances. Thank you for doing the work through us that we cannot do on our own. We praise you for our calling. We praise you for the work that you seek to do through us. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on us as individuals. 
Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on this here church. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on your world and hear the prayers of your people who pray. Amen.